0: We will take our Bibles at this time and turn for our ongoing study in Peter's epistle. We come back to 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let us pray. Lord, you are the great, the good, and chief shepherd of your flock. You feed us in the lush fields of your truth. You give us to drink the life-giving water that is Christ himself. You are the restorer of our weary souls. You take the lead in our daily lives and we learn to walk in paths of righteousness which brings honor to your name and reflects all that you are. We discover that the God you are on the mountaintops of our experience is still The same God in the valley, even down to the valley of the shadow of death. We fear not, because you draw us the closer to yourself. You beat back the enemies of our souls, the world, the devil, and our own sinful flesh. We look back to where we have come, to where we are this very day, and it is true. That out of your intrinsic goodness, your loving kindness, follows us all the days of our lives. How we thank you that you have revealed to us and assured us of our destiny. That we will dwell in your house with you, our new home, forever and forever. Amen. Now, perhaps one way for me to introduce our study of this portion of Peter's letter would be to defend or at least explain the title, The Shepherds, Shepherds and Sheep. I gave this title to my secretary, who uh, prepares the labels for our CD ministry, and she brought it back to me and wondered if I had made an error. The wording seemed strange, and often I do make errors, but in this case I said no. And then she got a sermon, so I think she probably regrets having asked. I said, there are three distinct identities in these first four verses which we have just read. If you look back over them, you'll see that. There is the most important person identified as the chief shepherd there in the fourth verse. Of course, it is Jesus, the chief shepherd of the flock, who Peter says someday will appear, and we know will lead his flock home to glory. But then there is this chief shepherd's shepherds. Clearly, they are the elders mentioned there in verse 1, including Peter himself, he refers to himself as a fellow elder. They are commanded, you notice in verse 2, to shepherd the flock of God. And so you have chief shepherd. And if I could use this term under shepherds called elders. And of course, the third group, which is the flock of God itself or the sheep shepherds, Shepherds and the Sheep, that's the title and precisely will be uh, our focus in this study. Now this is not the first time in Peter's letter that he puts uh, before believers this this shepherd picture. Uh, There are any number, as you know, of biblical word pictures given to us which help us, like they would help a child in Sunday school to have an object lesson, help us to understand our relationship to God, our relationship to one another, and even to the world as it looks on at believers. I won't name those other analogies at this time, but surely you would agree that among the most beautiful and I think the most encouraging of all the word pictures is this pastoral scene of shepherd and sheep. The church of the living God, among other identities, is called the very flock of God. And that analogy goes way back. It has its roots under the old covenant So that Israel could shout joyfully to the Lord and sing, as I quote, We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And again, King David demonstrated to us for all time that this was not only a corporate identity, the whole flock, but has a very personal application for all of life's journey. And David would write, The Lord is My shepherd, I shall not want. The King James way of saying, I have everything I need. And I've often thought how a more contemporary David would say, through his spirit wrought him, Psalm 23, means that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in any want or have any lack. Beloved, reflecting on these few verses and then cross-referencing to all 66 books of the Bible, the shepherd and sheep relationship is among the most glorious of biblical themes. Perhaps you might expect the pastor of a, a good shepherd church to say such a thing, but... It is wonderfully true, is it not? God's people said, Amen. Now, as I just mentioned, this is not the first time that Peter has used this imagery. Glance back to chapter 2. I know we were there a long time ago. But glance back to chapter 2 for a moment and verse 25. This is a very instructive verse concerning, I think, the nature of sheep. The four-legged kind, as it relates to our own experience as sheep, or if you will, the two-legged kind, uh, the flock of God. I guess what I'm about to say is the reason I think the shepherd and sheep motif is so prolific out of Scripture has more to do with what sheep are really like than uh, even what shepherds do for a living. See what it says with me, will you? He writes in chapter 2 at verse 25, he says, you, and of course he's addressing the flock of God, you were continually straying, that is, or wandering like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So what are apparently the four-legged kind of sheep famous for? What would you say? Well, he said, you've all what? Here, you have wandered, you have strayed. That's what sheep do. They wander, they stray. It's exactly why they need a shepherd. What do you suppose us two-legged sheep are famous for? In other words, is the same thing the four-legged sheep are famous for. Without a shepherd, what does the Scriptures tell us? The flock is scattered. Sheep wander. The hymn writer, I think, captures it well in, in one of my all-time favorite hymns. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. How his kindness yet pursues me. Mortal tongue can never tell. Clothed in flesh till death shall loose me, I cannot proclaim it well. That's probably one of the lesser known of the verses, but you'll recognize this one. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily. Daily. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, tie me up, Lord, like a fetter, bind my, what kind of heart? My wandering heart to thee. And then this confession, which I freely make, I don't know about you. Prone to wander. Prone to wander. I'm a sheep. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Oh, here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We need a shepherd to be this kind of shepherd. Because our default, our, our proneness is always to wander. I know if time would allow, but it never does. I wish I could take us all on a tour of all those shepherd and sheep portraits upon the sacred pages. It is the nature, I say again, of sheep to wander. But it is also the very nature of the good shepherd. Well, we have a picture of what he does. He will count the sheep. He will secure the ninety. And nine, and what will he do? Go out through all the dangers of night to bring the one wandering, foolish, lost sheep home on his big shoulders. And if we were to look at that text, we'd discover he's not just bringing the lamb home, but bringing him home, it says, with rejoicing. With rejoicing. When what we might have expected would be maybe the shepherd's frown or frustration. But there are no frowns. There is no reproach. We need to understand that a good shepherd, Jesus said, will do whatever it takes. He will lay down his life for the sheep. A good shepherd will face the wolf and lion to snatch back his lamb, even if necessary, from the very jaws of the enemy. And our good shepherd did just that. Peter reminds the flock there in chapter 2 when he puts verse 24 and verse 25 together. Let me read it again and this time include verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. He anoints my head with oil as a healing shepherd. And then Peter states the obvious For you were all continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Now, what I want us to do is to take Peter's first mention of the shepherd and guardian of our souls and connect it with the next mention of sheep and shepherd to today's text regarding what he now refers to as the chief shepherd who one day will appear. I could say will reappear who in the meantime, quite apparently, "...has appointed over his church, his flock, a number of what are called here elders. These elders will shepherd the sheep, you see, on his behalf." Now, this is a holy vocation. It is God's calling to be an elder. And it is of such importance that Peter utilizes most of the text, we'll see, to address how elders are supposed to, and also how they are not supposed to, shepherd the flock. The character and qualifications for being an under-shepherd, you can understand, are rightly of such concern to the chief shepherd, that I can tell you a good portion of New Testament teaching is given to the subject of church leadership. Who shall lead, and how they lead must reflect Christ's own shepherding work. Christ, always the prototype for shepherding the flock which he has purchased. With his own blood. Is this not then a very sobering call and vocation? To be an elder and under shepherd of the flock for which Christ has shed his very blood. It sobers, of course, all those called to such leadership. It also ought to humble and call to prayer the flock of God as they are led. Now, once again... Let's get into the text now. The therefore, there it is again, therefore, uh, verse 1 in chapter 5 indicates that this is not some whole new subject that Peter is addressing. You know that the chapter divisions in every book of the Bible are not inspired like the text is inspired. Somebody assigned a new chapter here beginning with verse 1 of chapter 5. And all of a sudden, it seems like we've gone from the subject of the saints who suffer and all the troubles and trials of this world to a subject of church leadership. And what I want to point out is this is not a new subject. This is a therefore statement. The church leadership, by a plurality of elders is God's way of caring for his flock, especially keeping it in context in light of all the earthly dangers, toils and snares through which we must be led, which Peter's been talking about ever since he began the letter in the first place. We saw in an earlier study that God's way of meeting needs we have is to employ faithfully our own individual gifts toward one another. And to do so we saw in a spirit or environment of biblical hospitality. We need that because we live in a fallen and hostile world that is no friend to God's grace. Does Jesus, the good and great and chief shepherd, care for his flock? Even though now he sits at the right hand of the throne of his Father in heaven, yes, he cares for his flock. First, by calling them together into what is called the church. I can hardly believe that there's a great deal of discussion going on in our day among a younger generation, at least a segment of younger generations, who profess faith in Christ but really see no great need to be part of any one particular church or fellowship. God says, if I'm going to shepherd you, I need you in the pen. I need you there where I can count heads. Where I can see if there's ninety and nine or not. And if one is missing, who will I send to go and draw back? It'll be one of the under shepherds. The Apostle Paul gives us the same blueprint for the church when he says in Ephesians 4, that the Christ who descended to bear the cross... Later ascended, Paul says, far above the heavens, so that from there he might fill all things. How does Jesus, the chief shepherd, conduct things from above? Paul tells us. He goes on to say in that Ephesians 4 passage, well, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists. And then he says toward the latter end of that history line, and some as pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to a high calling a spiritual maturity which is fashioned after Christ himself. Again, it's God's way of telling us in his word that if the goal is Christ-likeness, We're not going to find much of it until we are part of this living body of believers, the flock of God, exercising our responsible role to minister gifts one to another, and then to come under the shepherding work of the elders. I've just given you a whole lot of theology related to ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, and how it should organize itself in a very few moments. But let me say... What a beautiful blueprint God has established for the church, by which the good, great, and chief shepherd shepherds his sheep by appointing his own under shepherds. It is this biblical teaching which has provided us, as the people of God, a way of organizing ourselves as a church or a, a local church in a very real, pinpointed, geographical location here uh, at the end of, uh, of South Venice in Inglewood, Florida. If you read the Constitution, and I often recommend that if you have trouble falling asleep at night, uh, take the church constitution that is Good Shepherd Church's bylaws. But if you will read that constitution, the biblical offices of elder and deacon are based on the scriptures. We know that we are supposed to have elders. We know what kind of men they are to strive to be. And we know what their responsibilities are because the scriptures are our source of ultimate authority under Christ I assure you that your pastor knows well that he is a man under authority and he knows well he will be held accountable for this shepherding task as will his fellow elders By the grace of God, you should know, having read this passage as a pastor, I hope to receive this thing in verse 4, this unfading crown of righteousness, which is held out to me in verse 4. I have to tell you, I'm not exactly sure what it is or if it comes in my head size. But I do know this, if I win it, It will be the enabling grace of God alone. And I know too, should I win it by grace alone. I shall cast it at his feet and call myself, what the scripture even tells me, every servant should call himself an unworthy servant. But I can tell you nothing, nothing I can think of would give me greater joy. We strive To be a biblical church. In some other setting, I'll take the time to point out in more detail some of the original Greek terms used here in this epistle, as well as in other places. But just a sketch here. The fact that the word, for example, elder here, is the Greek word presbyteros, from which we derive the Presbyterians. Presbyterians. Or that in the earlier reference when Peter referred to the shepherd as the guardian of our soul. Why, that word is bishop. To have a bishop, that is to give many of us Baptists some pause. And then the word overseer is used as well. And in the Greek, that word is episkopos. I have to tell you, it wasn't easy for a Baptist like me to learn that if I'm going to be biblical, then I had better be willing, apparently, to learn something from the Episcopalians and the Presbyterians. Some of you look quite concerned, I have to tell you. I'm a bit tongue-in-cheek with this. I'm teasing a little bit. But the point is this. These words have meaning. We don't get to define ourselves and just do anything we want and then call it church. Do you note with me that even though Peter is instructing the elders, the presbyteros, to be overseers, episcopos of the church, that it is by no means ever their church. In verse 2, he doesn't say to the elders, now lead your flock. He says quite explicitly, shepherd the flock, what? The flock of God among you. And by the way, I've had to learn over the years, that means the church you actually pastor. Not the church you have in your mind that you wish you were pastoring. These are sheep who abide locally, who have real addresses and places with real needs, whose proneness, remember now, is always to wander. In fact, many pastors and elders would do well, I think, to underline The middle of verse 2 where he says the under shepherds are to shepherd according to the will of God. Actually, the words the will is not the original text. It says they are to shepherd according to God. (laughs) The chief shepherd will be the one who instruct will even tell us how it is and what it is we are to lead in. According to the will of God, goodness knows I'm so glad for a text like this. I wouldn't know what to do with some of you. I really wouldn't if I didn't have the word of God to tell me what to tell you. Perhaps any number of you know your Old Testament well enough to know that God had some pretty scary things to say to those under-shepherds in Israel who did not lead by God's authority, but were self-appointed, apparently, took the role upon themselves out of apparent self-interest. Concerning this, the voice of God in the Old Testament for those false shepherds thundered from heaven and more than once The prophets delivered the message and God's first word was always this. Woe. Woe unto them who do not speak my words. The language got pretty graphic in one place where God said, Woe to them, those unfaithful shepherds, those false shepherds who actually eat the sheep instead of feeding the sheep out of their own appetite for self-importance. If God has something to say to me, I hope the first word won't be, whoa. We think, you know, how awful those bad shepherds in Old Testament times. But as Peter points out, as the whole Bible points out, the seeds of corruption are sown in every fallen heart, including the best heart of the best elder you never want to meet. We're being warned here that there is always the tendency towards self, selfish ambition. Pride always wants to assert itself. There's a special danger to those who hold positions of authority. Thus we have the warnings. That's why they're here from Peter. Now, he's talking to true elders. And he's saying, even these must be warned, as I must be warned. Now, I'm not going to exegete and illustrate each danger in these four verses. They're they're worthy of separate sermons. They speak, for the most part, though, I think for themselves. It's not a pretty picture when any one of us as a believer gets off course. It's especially a dangerous thing when a spiritual leader Gets off course, because after all, the sheep will tend to follow. So let's look at some of the the warnings here, just to be mindful of them and to cover all of the text. He says to them, elders do not serve under compulsion. I believe he's saying here, don't do what the office calls for. Don't do what you must do just because it's part of the job. Don't take the title and then feel like you're under compulsion. You have to do certain things you'd rather not do. He says instead, this is to be willing service. A good synonym I found was it is to be uh, submittingly given to your task and to your calling, not under compulsion. You know, I came to this church ten years ago. Frankly, I don't think anyone who is still here uh, would deny or even be offended if I said things were kind of a mess. They really were. In fact, the church was being governed under a constitution that did not place the authority in the church under a plurality of elders and deacons. This church was off course. And God, in his sovereignty and the way that only he can work, brought about such dramatic changes and did so in a marvelous way, so that there was relative peace and a coming together. And many of you here that were there then are to be commended for the way that you moved from one way of doing things to doing things more in keeping with the Word of God. I believe it's why for ten years we've had the peace and the blessing of God on this ministry. Amen? And I remember ten years ago addressing... As the new pastor, wet behind his ears, one of the first meetings with the leadership gathered here at Good Shepherd Church. And what I did, I guess I thought would be cute, was I brought with me, flung over my shoulder, a towel. And at one point I addressed the leadership and held up the towel and I said, Do you know what this is? One deacon did not hesitate. He replied, it's your crying pal." <laughs> it wasn't that. No, my object lesson for the day was one of servant leadership. To be in a position of authority under Christ. To be an elder or even a serving deacon or to be in any role of leadership in the church of Jesus Christ is really about the matter of washing the dirty feet of the sheep or the saints. Jesus gave us that example. As I've done unto you, having taken basin and towel. So you're to do one for the other Now, in verse 2, it heats up a bit. In verse 2, he speaks of actual charlatans that sometimes are found even among the true flock of God in Bible-believing churches. These charlatans somehow think that pastoring a flock might be a good way to make a living. I, I've actually met, I hesitate to call them fellow pastors, but I, I have met ministers who joke and boast about how good they have it. Their congregations seem to know it. Those are the congregations that say, man, you work a couple hours one day a week. But there are those who enter into areas sacred. They did it in Jesus' day. They do it today. They think a whole lot more about cash cows than they do about the flock of God. Serve elders, Peter says. Not for sordid gain, but serve with eagerness. You know, it's one thing to give yourself with great zeal and eagerness to something you just love to do. And I suppose it's an added blessing if someone's willing to pay you to do it. That's sort of how I feel, having been called under this uh, Cultural slash biblical system of church as we experience it in our day. I do what I am called to do and would do it with such great joy, whether you paid me or not. But it really does help to have a roof over our head on Edward Street. So I appreciate the fact that you pay me to do what I would do anyway. Serve with eagerness, he says. He's really saying that those in leadership are to derive their pleasure from knowing that, that, that you are, in fact, a servant of Jesus Christ. That he values his sheep beyond silver and gold, because, as we know, he redeemed them with the imperishable worth of his own blood. He came, remember, not to be served, but to serve and to give his very life a ransom for many. True elders and pastors are willing to spend and be spent just to hear the well done from the chief shepherd's lips. And sometimes, when almost everyone on occasion forgets to say even thank you, this is something far greater well done of the chief shepherd himself. Moving quickly now to verse three. Elders or anyone in a serving leadership role in the flock. He says, do not lord it over those allotted to your charge. This is right out of the lesson that Jesus gave to all his disciples. And Peter was sitting there that day. You remember Jesus saying, you know how it is in the world. Whoever is the big cheese, whoever is the chief, whoever is the boss, well, they just love to lord it over everyone. And then Jesus says, this is not how we're going to do church. This is not how it's going to be. It's going to be not a business. It's going to be a shepherd and sheep relationship. Do not lord it over them. Now, I'm not going to take the time here to scripture proof the fact that elders, but I want you to hear this. Elders do exercise authority. It's not in the text today. So we'll wait for the other text when we're at them to underscore this. Most of you know this. Some of you know it, whether you like it or not. Elders do exercise authority. Authority Always delegated authority. They exercise a delegated authority over the flock. And that's why, as you know, many of you at least know, the sheep are commanded to, quote, Obey those who have the rule over you. But what is Peter's concern for this particular day? That is, in this text. What he's concerned about is that there be no abuse of authority. Instead, he says and bids the elders, you are to lead not with a strong arm nor a whip. You are to lead, he says, by your own godly examples. I just love the portrait of. I love the portrait of the shepherd in Isaiah chapter 40. I'm not going to have you turn there. Just a verse or two. Here's the biblical portrait of a shepherd's heart. Listen to it. And speaking of the great shepherd, he will lead his flock like a shepherd. Listen to this. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom, and gently, and gently lead those who are with young. How's that for not lording it over a flock? And for exercising the delegated authority of the chief shepherd himself, pictured in portraits like that in Isaiah 40 and everywhere else. The world in the Olympic races, for example, rewards those who run well. The Olympics is as old an institution as the day in which Peter and the other apostles wrote their letters. I bring this up because it's what's referenced in the actual text. But first I mention what is very familiar to most of us, the Apostle Paul. Paul often used, you know, the Olympian motif for running the Christian race. Peter mentions the reward of that day. These were the days when uh, the rewards that came for winning were not made of bronze or silver or there were no gold medals. It was the first century Olympians glory just to hear the roar of the crowd. And you know, if he came in first, second, or third, all he got was a fading laurel wreath to wear that day. It crumbled by the end of the week. Whatever form the eternal rewards take, we know this. Nothing fades or crumbles in heaven. Be examples to the flock, he says to the elders. In some sense, that is all of our responsibility, but in particular, it is the responsibility of leadership. And then he says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive not a crumbling old laurel wreath. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. Wow. Paul had run his race, you remember, and he said, I know. He had such confidence in God's grace, not in himself, to say, there awaits for me that crown of glory. Before I bring this message to a close, I want to emphasize what is the primary task of the elder. I could use or interchange the word pastor or pastor's. What is the primary task of the elder as an under-shepherd to the flock? And I want to underscore this in closing because I think there's quite a lot of fuzzy thinking on this issue and that the sheep themselves often look to their leaders for things other than what the shepherds are actually called to do. Whose authority is the pastor under? Well, in some churches, I can tell you, it'll say so in their constitutions, they're under the authority of the congregation. Heaven forbid. A true elder, a true pastor, is under, remember, the authority of the chief shepherd. The essential, primary, An indispensable task of the pastor and of the elders collectively, listen carefully, is to preach the Word of God. Anything else that comes after that, well, it's worthy of a bonus. But I'm concerned about the expectations that many congregations have. You're my pastor. That means you should... And man, you should see some of the job descriptions, if not written, at least shown sometimes in faces of disapproval. I, I, I'm tempted to give whiny examples, but I won't. It sound like I'm whining. In Sunday school, from this pulpit on a Lord's day in the worship service. On a Wednesday night when the Bible is open for whatever length of time or whenever you're in the company of an elder and you seek to be ministered to, expect nothing else but the word of God. I want you to listen to the biblical charge to every pastor teacher. I have to tell you, I am brought to my knees every time I read 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Perhaps hearing it yourself now as God's flock will bring you more often to your knees for those called to shepherd you under the Lord. Here's what is delivered to us there. And it's a solemn charge. I solemnly charge you to meet all the expectations of your congregation. Now, if that's what it said, we would call that heresy and foolishness. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing and His kingdom. Here it is, folks. Preach the word. Preach the Word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And by the way, those words added are all the ministry of the Word. It's the Word that rebukes. It's the Word that exhorts. It's the Word that points out our errors. How easy a job do you think it is? To have to get in some sheep's face and say, that's wrong. This attitude must change. You're in bitterness. You must forgive. More often than not in our day, it's, where have you been? Wandering. Wandering should always be the honest response of the sheep. We must preach the word. Paul goes on to say the time's going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine. There are churches in this community that are ten times more filled than most of our pews here this morning because people have found places where they hear what they want to hear or they have the music they prefer or for maybe perhaps uh, many other reasons. Up north, it was because Grandpa was buried in the cemetery outside the church, even though the church had long stopped. Preaching the Word of God. Time will come they'll not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. They will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside. Listen to this. Instead of truth, they end up with myths. Usually some preacher's best-selling book that's made the New York Times list of most purchased that ought to be a warning right there. And then he says to the elder, But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, fulfill your ministry. And beloved, it's much more than hugs and holding hands. You didn't visit me. I told you about this need, you didn't take care of it. No, I didn't, because that's a deacon's job. The elders have a responsibility to see the deacons get busy with some of the real needs that people do have. But the do not disturb sign ought to be on the door of the pastor's study more than that door swung open if he's going to fulfill this ministry. Need to bring this to a close, and I'll be comfortable to do that today. Some sermons are harder for preachers to preach than other sermons. I'd much rather preach about you than about myself. You know something I think that is really cool about the Apostle Peter? He was by trade a fisherman. A fisherman, not a preacher. And at the beginning of his spiritual training, Jesus said to him, Follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. But I can tell you that from that day on, Jesus would call the fishermen, ironically, to become a shepherd. Not of sheep, but of men, women, boys and girls. The flock of God. Peter would have to learn so many hard lessons, even have to taste the awful bitterness of extreme failure that always comes from self-reliance. I've had my share of that in my experience over the years. But as Peter found in God's grace, so Jim Sharp and other pastors and elders have found, God is persistent and his grace works and he makes A spiritual leader of a man. We all remember, don't you, for Peter's three denials, there followed the Savior's three questions. Peter, do you love me? First question. Second question, uh, Peter, do you love me? Third question, Peter, do you love me? First one, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes. Jesus said, then tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then shepherd my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, yes, Lord. You know all things. Then feed my sheep. I'm so glad for Peter's biography. I've been thinking what a wonderful way to express my love for Jesus. What high privilege is mine for which I need your prayers. I can't know, nor can I with all the other elders. I cannot know or meet your expectations Whatever else I may do or fail to do, please know that I must feed you the word of God. And if I'm to be remembered for nothing else, or even to get poor grades in other areas of pastoral work, let it be said he gave to us the word of God. This is how God cares for his flock. This is the main event. God has blessed us with music that honors him. He's given you spiritual gifts to use with one another. We get together sometimes for no other purpose than just to have fun. And that's okay. But this is the main event. I dare say no one will come and stay very long at this church unless they understand this is the main event. Not, I'm not the main event. Heaven forbid. The word of God going forth. It is the main event. It is how he cares for his flock. Peter says, In a hostile world, we need the Word of God. So help me, God. And with your prayers, we will preach the Word of God.